So what's your podcast about? Superheroes. It's a little geeky, but I think you guys are going to like it. Try not to be too geeky. No, I can't promise that. Should we begin? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's the Geek and You Shall Find podcast. And now, your hosts, Kelsey Dickerson, Brad Fay, Kate Fay, and Noah Berlin. Hold on to your butts. Welcome to the Geek and You Shall Find podcast. The one and only face of superhero faces, Kelsey Dickerson, is out. So my name is Noah Berlin, and I'm hoping I could do half a good of a job as a host as she does. I'm here today with Brad Fay and with Kate Fay, and we just finished watching Rings of Power episode four, which is called The Great Wave, and we are ready to talk all things Middle Earth with you. So whether you're listening on Spotify or another podcasting platform, or if you're watching on YouTube, we thank you for assembling with us and joining the Superhero Faces team. We love engaging with the community, sharing theories, getting nerdy with you all. So please make sure to subscribe, like, leave your thoughts in your comment section, and let's keep this conversation going. But before we get into the Rings of Power, let's hear from our very own Kate Fay, who has our Nerdy News of the Week. Yeah, and I'll try to do as good of a job as you, Noah. All right, so first story we have, um, are we going to see a new Rogue in the MCU? Following a recent announcement that Tom Hanks is eager to appear in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Kiki Palmer is the latest celebrity hoping to land a role in the highly successful film series. The Lightyear actress reacted to a fan's TikTok video pushing for her to play Rogue, um, indicating a desire to portray the mutant once the X-Men finally make their MCU debut. Brad, I know Rogue is one of your favorites, so how do you feel about this? No, it feels great. Like I'm, I was so excited when I first heard that she would even be the potential villain for the Captain Marvel sequel. Mm-hmm. I'm a diehard Rogue fan. It's, I mean, her and Spider-Man are always neck and neck. Every every time I think like, well, no, Rogue is definitely my favorite superhero. And I'm like, yeah, but you really like Spider-Man, so it's definitely one and two in that order. So I was really excited to hear that she would kind of get her own chance to shine before they introduce all of the X-Men. I'm assuming like at a later time. So I was really excited that she would be the potential villain. I think she'd be a great villain. Her and Captain Marvel had a lot of history together, so it makes sense. It wouldn't seem forced. And yeah, I, I didn't know a lot about uh, Kiki Palmer's work. I like like looked it up, and she's done a lot of voiceover work, like a lot, a lot. Of, she's done like um, every animated series. She's a recurring character in Ice Age, which I didn't know. I, there's like six Ice Age movies, apparently, or something like that. <laughs> it's um, the new land before time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I was like, wow, they 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 really milked this one. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about it. she has the accent down. Um, so I definitely think she'll be able to do that southern draw kind of thing. So yeah, I'd be excited. I'd just be excited to hear like once it's official and I can officially like look forward to it rather than be like, all right, is this all gonna fall apart and we're not gonna get her as like a standalone villain? Awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. I love her. She's she's great, she's so funny. Yeah. Um, okay, so Sony pushes Marvel release dates. So two of Sony's Marvel projects have had their release dates pushed back. Um, those projects are Craven the Hunter and Madam Web. So Craven the Hunter is going to be October of 2023. Madam Web will be in February of 2024. Par for the course with Sony. <laughs> you ain't lying. Yep. Yeah, they're, they got to get it together. 
but it sounds like they're not. So uh, moving on, Witcher season three, Netflix's hit show, The Witcher, starring Henry Cavill, has wrapped the filming on its third season. Noah, I know you're excited about this. I am. The Witcher's great. Um, two seasons so far, both awesome on Netflix. And, and honestly, it's one of those that are even better when you rewatch and you kind of have a better grasp of the different timelines and the different characters and how they fit together. But yeah, I love that show. It's great. Brad and I need to get on that. We started 100%. it and then never finished. So yep. we're terrible nerds. <laughs> um, and then going into Star Wars, obviously, can't leave out the Star Wars. Um, the Rogue Squadron movie has been removed from Disney's future plans, leaving Lucasfilm with no Star Wars theatrical release on the calendar. Um, they made changes to 11 upcoming Disney movies. So this came... This news came out along with that. Um, filming was expected to begin this year with Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins uh, tapped to lead the project um, and a release targeting Christmas 2023. So kind of a bummer we won't have that. Yeah, Star Wars movies, man. It's crazy to think how long, like, I don't know. We went from like literally one every year, but I think they're just like really worried about getting it right. Cause I mean, I like Solo a lot, but obviously, you know, wasn't like a big success as far as fans were concerned. And then, you know, the final two Star Wars movies. So I think they just really feel like they have to get a hit on their hands or it's just going to make it even harder to release these movies. Do you think that they're really transitioning from theatrical releases and, and making movies to doing more just Disney Plus type shows, Mandalorian, all that kind of thing? It um, seems like it. I mean, maybe. I mean, yeah. there's so many shows that they're doing and yeah. putting out right now. So hmm. interesting. Yeah. Um, the last thing I have is Constantine. A sequel to the 2005 DC Comics film Constantine is in the works at Warner Brothers. And Keanu Reeves and director Francis Lawrence are both slated to return. I never saw that movie. I saw it and I can't believe that was like 17 years ago. Damn. I know, crazy. Wow. Yeah. My God. Good for Keanu. I love oh, him. Yeah. Keanu, uh, bigger now than ever before. So it's awesome. Turning out Bill and Ted sequels 20 years after the fact, Constantine sequels 20 years after the fact. Good for him. Matrix. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good point. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. love a comeback. Yeah. Most definitely. Uh, well, thank you very much, Kate. You did an awesome job with Nerdy News of the Week. I'm very proud. And now, as a reminder for all of those listening and watching, this is a spoiler alert for those of you that have not seen this episode of Rings of Power. We're going to be deep diving into all the events of the Great Wave, but you do not have to worry about spoilers for later on in the story for other episodes or anything like that. We are just going to guess um, and come up with our theories just like you guys. So no worries about future spoilers, but if you haven't listened to this one or you haven't watched this episode, you might want to do so before continuing. So first, before we get into everything uh, about this episode, I want to talk to or I talk about something that played a major role through foreshadowing within this episode, and that's the White Tree of Numenor, which is called Nimloth. Of course, everything has a name and needs to have a name. It can't just be a tree. It has to have the name Nimloth. Anyway, as we talked about last week, the Valor raised the island of Numenor from the sea, gifted it to the men who fought alongside the elves during the War of Wrath. So the faithful, which are the names of those people that remain loyal to the Valar and the old waves, they believe that when the petals of Nimloth fall, the Valar themselves are crying. 
So the health of the tree and the health of the kingdom of Numenor are thought to be directly connected. And when we see the petals start to fall, that's the first sign that disaster is near. So multiple times throughout this episode, we see this first through the visions of the destruction of the island by Queen Regent Muriel, and then Galadriel, who sees the same thing when she's looking in the Palantir, which are the, the seeing stones that we saw in Lord of the Rings as well. Uh, then we see the falling of these white petals when Galadriel sent away. So you could kind of see the panic set in on the faces of Muriel, Galadriel, Elendil, and others, because if the prophecy is to be believed, they're essentially bringing Numenor one step closer to its doom. So now Lord uh, fans of the Lord of the Rings movies might notice that this white tree of Numenor bears a striking resemblance to the one that stands in Minas Tirith that we saw in um, the capital city of Gondor in Return of the King. And it serves as the symbol of Gondor on all of their armor and stuff like that. We see that white tree. That tree in Gondor was actually born from a seeding, a seedling, excuse me, of Nimloth, taken from Numenor and planted by a certain character that I will not spoil, and planted there in Minas Tirith. But back to the prophecy. So Tar Palantir, who is the king who's sickly, we meet him in this episode, it's Queen Regent uh, Muriel's sickly father. He once stated that if Nimloth, the tree, should ever die completely, Numenor's long line of kings would die along with it, which is another reason for everyone's concern once the petals begin to fall. And if you remember, once we see Gondor's capital in Return of the King, there is no king. Instead, Denethor, father of Boromir and Faramir, serves as the steward of Gondor, and the White Tree of Minas Tirith is fully dead, meaning the line of kings was also dead and it just kind of gives more weight to this prophecy so i thought that was really interesting and it kind of provides a little bit of weight for um what we see in this episode through visions and when we see it really happening and that the petals begin to swirl around the whole port and, and all that happening so i thought the visuals of all that the petals the waves crashing the destruction of numenor these visuals, the CG um, was just so good. And really, I could consider that an MVP of the episode myself. But now I'm going to throw it over to Brad. Uh, let's hear who you have for the MVP of this episode. I mean, Arendor continues to impress. I love anytime that dude gets like chance to be in an action sequence, a fight sequence, like when they were running and he was like turning back, grabbing the boat, you know, the arrows getting, you know, firing yeah. back. Um, I got a little nervous when they got to the end and then they were like looking back at the orcs. I'm like, yo, keep running. They can continue <laughs> to fire arrows at you and just move a little bit ahead. And they're just like standing there, like looking at the orcs. I'm like, no, you can continue to move. Like you'll be okay. Um, so I had that, you know, him is one of my MVPs. And then, you know, you mentioned the CGI. I, I just think the hair, costumes, and makeups for the dwarves is, like, really just incredible. Like, I mean, everything in the show, top to bottom, like, every location is so on point. There's, like, nothing, like, the orcs makeup. Like, there's been nothing that's kind of, like, ugh, they, they didn't get that exactly, right? So, I think you know, shout out to, like, all the people behind the scenes. Obviously, like, the actors and, the you know, the actresses are who we see front and center. We're going to notice bad writing. But I just feel like everything on the show has just been so on point. Yeah, I agree. What about you, Kate? Yeah, and Brad, before I go with my MVP, I totally agree about Aaron Deere's fight, fight scenes. Um, 
They're freaking awesome. Yeah. Like this one was in slow-mo. We saw him literally grab an arrow that was shot at him and put it in his bow and shoot <laughs> it back to the orcs. Yeah. I was like, wow, damn, dude. I thought it was great too in that where uh, you see like they're running in slow motion and he pushes over that stupid kid. And at first I'm like, why is he just yeah. pushing him? But then you see it's because an arrow is coming and he saved him. But you don't see the arrow at first. It just looked like he pushed yeah, yeah, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I wish he yeah. would suck. Hate you. <laughs> Um, okay, so my MVP was actually my background today, Queen Muriel. Ooh. Um, yeah, I was kind of questioning her a little bit in the last episode because she has this clear dislike of Gladriel and elves in general, um, which is kind of like, ooh, are you a little racist here? Um, but in this episode, I just really respect that she's really just trying to protect her people. You can tell she like truly cares about them is just trying to do right by them. Um, especially because we know now like what she sees in the vision of the future of Numenor. Um, and I really love the scene between her and Galadriel when Galadriel is trying to convince her to come join her in the fight against Sauron to choose not the path of fear, but that of faith. And Muriel responds, faith may bind on heart Galadriel, but it is too fine a thread from which to hang a kingdom. Um, so I just thought that was really cool to see two really strong women like fighting for what they truly believe in. And they just happen to kind of be at odds with each other for that point. But eventually, um, and Noah, you kind of touched on that at the end of the episode, we see the petals falling from the tree and Muriel takes this as a sign from the Valor that they're crying, they're upset. So she does actually join the fight with Galadriel um, against Sauron in the Southlands and pledges her an army and everything. So she's my MVP. Also, she is really pretty and dresses cool, so. I did have a note on that final scene um, that you mentioned. Uh, like, I did think, like, at first, that was a really shitty vote to give Galadriel. Like, <laughs> that is a big journey to make. Like, everyone's traveling on these big ships and they give her, like, a rowboat with, like, four dudes. And I'm like, yo, come on, like hook her up a little, give her something a little bit more comfortable. So I really would have liked to have seen the moment when they like send her off on, the, and then they all see the like leaves falling. Did they like call out after the boat? Like, yo, wait, never mind, come back. Like, probably. I would, yeah, I would have loved to see Glider be like, oh, okay, okay, look, look at you guys now, like send me off in your little crappy boat, and now you're like, wait, no, no. I told wait. you. Yeah. So I wish we would have gotten to see that moment a little bit to so be like, okay. Yeah, but then the surprise of her coming back out wouldn't have been as uh, uh, yeah, as sure. as big, I guess. But yeah, I thought the the writing in general, and I had the same quote written down, uh, Kate, as you did. I just thought the writing was so good. There's so many moments um, where just the way they talk and and the writing, it just it seems so Tolkien esque, even though it's not. It's it's writers just specifically for this in Tolkien's world, but it's really it was really awesome. Um, my MVP was actually Prince Durin, the prince of the dwarves. This dude was really cynical. He thought that Elrond uh, was there kind of for some, you know, playing games out there for another reason, probably trying to steal stuff from him. Um, but he ended up leaving the episode with a rekindled friendship with Elrond. He made up with his father in what I thought was a really great scene and uh, a kind of theme of the episode that I'm going to touch on a little bit later. He's got a, a super loyal wife that will lie for him, and she's freaky, apparently, in the <laughs> <to> that episode. <laughs> great uh, voice. 
Yeah, yeah, she had great singing voice, and and he discovered Mithril, uh, which comes into play if you remember in um, I want to say it was the Fellowship of the Ring, where uh, Frodo is given the um, I guess not armor, but yeah, the Mithril almost like a vest, which is super light and super strong, and ends up saving his life. And so this is all discovered by Durin uh, in this episode. So I thought that was cool. The scenes with. Uh, Elrond and Durin I thought are just so good like they play off each other really well the actors and I thought it was really funny when the the wife was like oh how did tell me again how you met and uh and Elrond's like actually he says he saved me I actually saved him and and I just came in the forest and there was screaming and wailing the screams were so high pitched I thought it was a child and like they have a really <laughs> it was funny it was like a little uh, playful relationship there but I thought that was that was really cool I love their relationship yeah. It's so nice. I'm like super worried. That's like one of those ones you want it to. I mean, that's when shows do a really good job when there's like that relationship of two characters that you want to work out, but you keep seeing like reasons for friction and you're like, oh man, are they, they going to have a falling out at some point? I just like their dynamic. And yeah, for sure. I, I'm really worried about those two. Yeah, well, speaking of falling outs and things not going great, that leads us to the LVPs, which this tends to be my favorite segment in this podcast. But Brad, throwing it back to you. Who do you have for the LVP of this episode? I put right. I think it was a very opening scene. I, I put those gullible Numenorians who just would cheer <laughs> for whoever spoke to them. And the, the guy's like, this elf is a danger. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah. And then the other guy uh, who I call, I don't, this is like a really deep cut. I don't know if people get Farazan is uh, looks like Jack Kirby's high father. If you have a chance to Google high father from Jack Kirby looks exactly like the dude, but then he's like, we're better than elves. Elves are no threat to us. And everyone's like, yeah, this guy's right. He's saying things too. And then they're all like following him. I'm like, man, but I mean, he did throw in the offer of beer at the end, which was, you know, I get it that that's enticing for people. Sure. But it was just like how quickly they went from listening to the dude with the black eye to someone else being like, don't listen to him. Listen to me instead. And they all turned and were like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. I was like, dude, come on guys. So yeah, two thoughts on that. And I completely, I have, as one of my LVPs, I have these idiot people too. And when that, fir <laughs> that first guy that got his ass beat by Hallbrand in the previous episode, he's like, elf ships on our shores, elf workers taking our trades. And everyone's like, yeah, elf lover, elf lover. And they're chanting elf yeah. lover. And it just reminded me of South Park where the people are like, the, the ignorant like rednecks are like, <laughs> they took our germs. <laughs> it's just, just so funny. It reminded me exactly of just these racist assholes. But then like, I was actually picturing myself as a uh, a Numenorian and thinking like, when that dude Farazan starts talking, cause he's obviously important, he's powerful. He's the champion and so man like i would be hanging out around him too and whenever he talks if i knew that he was going to um what is going on here um it, sorry about that so if uh if i knew this guy was going to start talking and then all of a sudden i'd be offered wine or beer or something like that i'd be like yeah i'm just gonna follow this guy around and agree with whatever he says yeah, I'm gonna yeah. get some free drinks yeah oh yeah so, yeah i don't know <laughs> every time that guy like steps forward everyone's like yeah what he says what he says <laughs> <laughs> exactly um so yeah kate who, who do you got for lvp okay so my lvp is the children of ellen deal um we haven't seen a lot of ellen deal just yet i have nothing against him he i actually like him he seems really kind towards like elves and gladiol and just people in general um but his kids are pretty terrible so far so um I know you guys 
have said, I think you guys said in previous podcasts that Isildur, hopefully I'm saying that right, is important later on. But for me, not knowing his story, um, I feel like he's on par with Theo as the worst. <laughs> and he also has a similar haircut. So take that for what it's worth. Um, I get that Isildur doesn't really want to be in this like Numenorean army. Um, and it's not his true passion, but like, he purposely messes up on the ship in the very last part of his training because he hears some whispers from like a far off land, which mm. that's probably going to like be important later on. But not only does he get kicked out of this prestigious program, he gets his two buddies kicked out too. And because he's Ellen Deal's son, he'll probably be okay. It seems like he didn't even have to really work hard to like get to this program. But these like these other two guys are like two nobodies and they work really hard to get there. And this Isildur kid ruined it for them. Um, so that was pretty shitty. And then I, I'm not sure how to pronounce this either. Arian, Arian, which is his sister. Mm. Like, what is her story? Why are we following her? Why should we be interested in her? She's not doing anything. Um, they start to set up some sort of relationship between her and some dude named Kevin, which yeah. I 100% thought his name was Kevin. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, I, I was looking at that name as something different. Um, but yeah, that that guy is the son of Farazan, the chancellor. Who okay, okay. Uh, oh, that's why so I didn't get that on the market and stuff. Yeah. But I'm I'm gonna call him Kevin from now on because <laughs> that's better. He looks like a Kevin. So yeah, yeah. Um, but there's like a ridiculous amount of other characters and storylines that I care about so much more. So I just don't understand like why we're focusing on her. Uh, yeah. Um, and I also heard that she's, uh, not in the books at all. She's a, a unique character for the show, which leads me to believe she's going to be important. But up to this point, I haven't seen anything about her that seems even remotely interesting or important. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I also have Theo, who you mentioned as an, an LVP. And I think just like we talk about in, in our House of the Dragon podcast, make sure to check that out if you have not listened to it yet. But uh, just like we talk about how the King Viserys is like could be on the LVP basically every episode, Theo could be yeah. on the LVP every episode if for no other reason than his haircut is just so stupid and he just is such an idiot. Um, but no, I mean, we find out what's going to be important that that the hilts that he has indeed was Sauron's but this dude is just making bad decisions like all the orcs want to kill him he's bringing the object that all the orcs are trying to find to where all of the humans are so basically it's going to lead to some huge battle it'll be like a um almost like a Helm's Deep type thing I'm guessing where it's a big battle they're all all the humans are holed up at the elven watchtower that was abandoned and I don't know this dude is just he sucks this kid sucks <laughs> yeah he's always doing the stupidest thing and I thought that home. always has to come save him it's true and uh, man I was hoping I'm, I'm not gonna lie when uh when the orc was like about to kill him or when he was like yeah how about how let's see how you um keep secrets when your arm is cut off and he's about to cut off his arm I'm like please just fucking kill this kid <laughs> like go ahead orc I was like totally on that the team of that stupid orc um and then obviously he got saved by Aaron Deer but also like when Erendir and he are running through the, the woods and all those orcs are chasing them and he like he has a cut on his hamstring and so he can't even run and it just Erendir is being a badass. And then all of a sudden Bronwyn comes running up from the other like 
what what the hell is she doing there? Go no. First of all, the kid sucks. First of all, second of all, like she saw probably from far away as she's running all like a thousand orcs running at her, and she keeps running. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. What's her son? Like she's gonna want to go save him. No, <laughs> not that son. That kid sucks. I mean, yeah, he was like so. All these orcs are around, like looking for him, and he's being so freaking loud in this well. And like, and then he decides to get out of the well and crawl around while they're all still there. Like, what are you doing? Just wait till they leave. He was the least inconspicuous person ever. Like, all they're all searching for him, and he's like splashing around, breathing all loudly. Like, bro, get it together. Yeah. Can we talk about that orc though when they're all looking for him and orcs are going about their slow way and you just see that real go-getter in the background like <laughs> really taking like, charge and running and turning things uh, like, around. <laughs> working 10 times harder than all these other orcs. He's really trying to climb that corporate ladder. So good yeah, the one orc. the one leader orc was like, no one sleeps until we find him. And all the other orcs are like, okay, we'll look for him. And that one's uh, running around in the background, like, man, like employee of the month orc. Get, for sure. Get that promotion, <laughs> man. Get that promotion. Yeah. Also, well, yeah. when they went into the clearing after they fought all the orcs, did you guys see that fat orc? Oh, yeah. Okay, go no. I was like, oh, I got a fat orc. Did he get got or like was he just oh, kind of no. like standing at the edge with all the other orcs? They're all always it just stands out because they're all so tall and skinny. And yeah. just one of them is like a random like chunky orc. And you're like, oh look, look at that guy. It just it was it like stood out. A chore. That, that one's eating good. Sure. <laughs> Uh, well, I definitely, every time I see Theo, I don't necessarily cringe, but I definitely roll my eyes. But that leads to the cringe moment of the episode. And Kate, can you let us know what, what did you have that, that was a cringe moment for you? Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little um, reenactment. So oh, if, ooh, if you're ooh. watching on video, get ready. Okay, <laughs> so um, El, Elrond is listening to Durin and what's her name Disa Dean yeah though his wife yeah yeah his wife whatever her name is um so he's listening to them with his like elf ears and so because he knows that they're lying or hiding about something and all of a sudden here I'm gonna try to do this good oh I have my background on I don't know if you'll be able to see oh man I'm so looking forward to this me too it goes to him and it goes to his mouth and he's like, the minds of Mythor. And it, it was just like such a cringe moment. I was like, oh, <laughs> what? So unneeded. I didn't notice it the first time. Like she told me that last night, like after the episode, I'm like, I don't even remember what you're talking about. And then like, I watched it the second time. So it's when they're talking and they talk about the, you know, minds of Morthia. And then it just like cuts to Elrond's lips just going, <laughs> he's just like, yeah he's like saying it to what? himself you gotta rewatch it because i was just like what is this like that was unnecessary that that is a hilarious dramatic how, whisper. oh my how, how was his elven teeth did he have some good was he doing the uh, invisalign and the whiten whitening strips well i don't know because you know it's like young ned stark so like you can't like his mouth is so odd you can't really like see his teeth yeah like and, and honestly know. that that actor obviously a good actor but I find it difficult to look at that guy's face. He oh looks God, weird, man. So I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. 
and I, I hate that like these things that we really like always have one character that just have it just looks so freaking weird their face but I don't know if it's his chin or like I don't know what it is he is difficult to look at for me he has high cheekbones I don't know, you know man. Like a, his smile is, his smile's a little too endearing I don't like you're the most judgy smile. people in the world either. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit a little bit but that's that's okay well, uh, I think this episode, while not as exciting per se as the previous episode, which was much more action packed, had a lot uh, of really good scenes with dialogue between characters, whether it was um, the Queen Regent Muriel and Galadriel, or Durin and his father, Durin and Elrond, uh, Durin and his wife. Uh, there's a lot of, of of scenes that I thought were really good. So I want to ask you guys what some of your favorite scenes are. But, but first, I'll just talk about uh, a theme from this episode that I took from it, which was the the legacies of fathers. Mm -hmm. And there's a few different times that we talk about that, but uh, Elrond uh, deals with this, Durin deals with it, Muriel deals with it. And um, at first when, when Durin's, he's pissed off and he's like, my dad cut off all of our mining efforts to get the Mithril. I'm never gonna talk to this guy again. He's like kind of throwing a little bit of a tantrum. And, and Elrond makes the point that, you know, if someone that you lost, if your father who who maybe is not here with us now is looking down on us, you know, would they be proud of what we accomplished with their legacy? Would they be disappointed at the countless ways we failed to live up to their legacy? And he realized that he would welcome any judgment, whether it's good or bad, if it just meant he would get to have one more conversation with his father. And you see how kind of Elrond embraces the legacy of his father and, and wants to live up to it. Durin kind of changes his tune and has a really heartfelt uh, scene with his dad where he's like, I was prideful, um, I was stubborn, I was wrong. And, and his dad's like, there is nothing to forgive. Like, you're great, I love you. <laughs> you know, it was like a heartfelt moment, I don't know. And then you see Muriel, the queen, queen regent, who tries for this entire time up until the end to really turn her back and run from her father's legacy, where she basically admits that all of the people uh, in Numenor revolted because they hated the elves, and her father was, you know, on was someone that was called the faithful, who who really wanted to embrace the old ways and wanted to look at the health of the tree and um, really please the valor still because of what they did for them. And but because the the people revolted, the queen was like, I'm sorry, you know, we're just not gonna, we're not, we're gonna be ignorant, we're gonna be xenophobic, just because I need to make sure that the, the citizens don't revolt again. And she's going against her father's legacy the whole time, until the end when she sees what the gravity of what that could cost. And, and with the prophecy and the petals falling from the tree, then she embraces it. Uh, and just she comes along to the same way that Elrond and Durin did. And she decides to fight alongside Galadriel and, and support her and all that. So I just thought that was really cool how you see it from a few different angles, this this concept and theme of fathers and their legacies. Yeah. Yeah, I love that but, too. Yeah, that's a great point. I love that running theme. I didn't catch that, how often that came up like throughout the episode in different ways. I mean, with all, you know, the came in like the captain and his son and daughter like there's yep. you know, definitely like a lot of yep, you good know, point. Like relationship that almost happens so much that you forget about it sometimes yeah yeah no good point well do you have any other uh why don't we start with you kate uh any other scenes that really stood out for you so i did mention that i picked that as my best scene too kind of what you mentioned the talk between elrond and Duran. i just thought that was like really heartwarming and um 
I think it's just really actually relatable to like everyone in our world too. Like, I feel like everyone just wants to make their parents proud um, and live up to their legacy. Um, and then, you know, if you still are like, if you've lost a parent, like all you want more than anything in the world is to just talk to them again one more time, even if it's, you know, not something like positive necessarily. Like, I don't know. I just thought that scene was really well written. Um, and I, I think, I love the, the quote from Elrond when he's talking about his father um, and he ends it with like, do not waste what time you have left with yours. And then Duran actually takes that and um, takes it to heart and goes and talks with his father, which as you mentioned, was a really, really sweet scene also. So yeah, that was my best scene. How about you, Brad? Yeah, I'm, I'm again, I'm kind of concerned about like those two characters relationship because I really like their relationship, but I kind of feel like Elrond's getting played a little bit. Like I feel he's not being really told like a lot of information and I feel like the dwarves are going to hold that against him thinking, well, you must have known this, but I don't see a lot of good things on the horizon for them. The other scene I really enjoyed actually is when um, Hallbrand and uh, Gladriel in the cell, the jail cell. And he's mm -hmm. like, yo, think, you know, kind of think this through a little bit. I like the line when he's like, see what happens when you stop galloping and give yourself a moment to think. And she says, stop comparing me to a horse. Like, <laughs> yeah, I like that, like little, you know, back and forth between the two of them. He's like, yo, will you let me just like stay here now on this island? Like I've given you enough advice, just like kind of leave me be. So I thought that was like a good scene between those two characters who and we don't know next time we'll see them together. Uh, you have a feeling it'll be sooner than we think. <laughs> I hope so, because I really like their relationship. I know there might be some theories that Hallgren might be, I don't know, some something like it's been alluded to that we don't really quite get the full story of who he is, but I really like their relationship. Um, it's a little bit, it provides a little bit of levity and a very serious show. So um, I would like to see more of them. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that there, there's a lot to kind of unpack with Hallbrand, and I'm really excited almost more than anything else to see the evolution of that character, because we really do get a lot of little hints every single episode so far, where he does little things that are a little shady or, or you know, that you kind of hinting, but it's not laying it on too thick, which I think is really good. And if he does uh, turn out to be one of... Um, one of the the Nazgul or even the Witch King of Angmor, like whoever he turns out to be, I think it's going to be well done because of how slowly they're building this. And, and I think that unless you're really analyzing, you might not even notice that he he's kind of going bad a little bit. But you just see some of the manipulative things that he's doing, both how he kind of manipulates Galadriel, but like you know, it looks like he's giving her good advice, but it's all for him, right? It's all self serving. Right. And when they're when she's escaping, he kind of manipulates uh, the chancellor too, where he's like, "Yeah, don't go after her. I'll tell you right now where she's going." And he's kind of orchestrating all of these things that are happening. Uh, to what ends, we'll see. But uh, I'm really interested to see what happens with that character for sure. I mean, you can say the same thing about her too, though. She everything is working like Galadriel's way. Like she said, I forget if it was the end of the last episode or whatever when she visits him in jail. And then he's like, oh, you're going to go back with what army or like whatever. And she's like, oh, I'm about to have an army. And she's right. You know, like how much of this was like foresight on her? Like, it doesn't seem like much. It seemed like a lot of things had to like 
fall into place and her figure things out. But I mean, she's getting what she wanted. She's leaving with a Numerian army to, you know, go face this threat. So sure. But I think that she, to me, it seems like she's playing the short game where she has a, a, a goal in front of her and she's getting it. But is she really getting what she wants? It's almost like, I, I don't know. Whereas Hallbrand seems to be playing the long game where he's he's moving these chess pieces into position exactly how he wants it. So I have no idea where it's going to go. I have no idea what's going to happen to him. But it seems like he is a step ahead, even of her, who is doing big things, of course. Yeah, and we don't know what he wants, really. Like yeah. her, yeah. her mode is pretty like clear cut. Like we know exactly. what he wants. So yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah, and I mean, he the advice that he gave her, he's like, stop and think about her biggest fear. And that's how you have to figure out how to manipulate this. Now, Halbrin already kind of knows what Galadriel's biggest fear is, right? It's the destruction of Middle-earth, it's Sauron returning, it's all of these things. So he is basically doing what he's telling her to do. And whether we as a viewer understand that or see that, it's, it's kind of cool, I think. Uh, awesome. So whether it's any other scene or any other notes, things that we haven't gotten to that we want to talk about. Do you guys have any uh, anything you want to chat? Yeah, we got to meet Adar. And it's yes, Benjen. <laughs> Benjen Stark from uh, yeah. Game of Thrones. Love him. Um, but yeah, I, so I was excited to see like what's going on with this guy. Um, he's kind of, it looks like he's an elf creature, maybe. He's got the elf <laughs> ears. I don't know. Um, so he's obviously on the side of Sauron, um, but he says some like really cryptic things. So I kind of don't know what to make of him. Like, I don't know what his story is, where he came from, who exactly he is. Um, he made a some sort of quote about like, it's something only the gods do. I, I'm not, I'm no God, at least not yet. So I was like, whoa, that's kind of shady. Like, I don't know what's going on there. How does that work? uh yeah for sure i think that i'm happy to see another game of thrones alum in this show for sure uh and i think it brings a whole new element to it how he's i don't know a dark elf a fallen elf yeah. um but they all call him adar which means father um and so he's the father of the orcs you know why how i'm very curious what's going on and he seems I don't know. He he didn't he wasn't threatening to Erendir. Um, I don't know. I thought that scene was pretty cool. I really want to see more of him and how he fits in uh with this whole this whole storyline for sure. That goes with your father theme again. <laughs> hey, good point. Good point. Yeah. Didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, a couple things before we get into some either theories, predictions, or just what we are excited to watch for in future episodes. Um, what when the orcs, man, like they're I don't know, they're definitely not mindless, but, you know, but they're just, I don't know, they're savage, whatever, but they, they honor their dead. When that one died and they were like doing a whole ceremony for him, I'm like, wow, oh, like yeah. there's a little bit more to these orcs than <laughs> I originally thought. I thought they just like rip out and start eating them or something. I don't know. <laughs> savage. Um, and then the, the theme of the power of sound and the power of music is interesting to me too because I was really wondering what this opening credits it seems like the opening credits seemed a little boring it's not as exciting um and you see something maybe with sand and vibrations but what is it it's called somatics which is the sound uh, or the vibrations of sound of differing wavelengths that turn into physical manifestations basically and so you see how the sound is turning the sand into different symbols that are from Tolkien's lore 
And um, it kind of goes along with the theme of creation of the world, because as we talked about uh, in the intro last episode, Iru, who is is the one true God, um, he and the Aenor, they create the world. They create the entire universe and they do it by holy music and this chanting and, and it's all done through sound. So kind of this opening credits, we actually see a representation of the creation of the world itself through sound. So I just thought that was pretty cool. Really cool. And yeah, and um, and Durin's wife, when she's doing that, the song, the chant to kind of honor and, and to pray for those that were victims in the um, collapse in the dam or in the dam, in the um, mines, she's give, she says she's giving a plea to the rocks and it just kind of shows the power of sound, the power of music and, and what that can do. And it's all woven throughout all of these stories. I just thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So moving on to what we're excited for, what we want to watch for, any predictions. Um, what do you have, Brad, that you might be excited to look out for or you want to see more of in future episodes? I mean, I don't know. I'm not excited about it. Like Elrond, I just think is kind of getting played by the, the this other dude. Um, like I don't know, this guy seems like he's doing like a lot of like he starts to say something about Durin at one point. He's like, uh, no, I shouldn't. I sh I shouldn't even be saying this out loud. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, dude. like, like I hate that guy. Like that guy's got to go. So I I feel like Elrond's gonna take the like blunt of some kind of like the runs like some blame for something like whatever that thing they're building is going to be used for and i feel like that's going to lead to like him and durin's like falling out so i'm kind of like dreading that i'm hoping that too and then i don't know if durin's getting not played by his dad but he, he's very like you know like always seems to go back to what his dad wants at the end whether he's frustrated so i'm interested in seeing how those things kind of play out and if they could set aside all these incoming voices and just work together yeah well the guy you're talking about Kellum Brimbor. So this dude is already a, a massive LVP, not of the episode, but just of the story as as a whole. Because we know that this um this whole the show is called Rings of Power. It is literally about the creation of the Rings of Power, which Sauron uses to manipulate and control all of the different races to rise to power, right? So when we're talking, and it started in episode one, when they're talking about the creation of this forge for the biggest. Uh, the biggest construction that we need all this help for um, to me. And I don't know this, but it seems that it's all going to lead to them creating. Cause it's not Sauron that, that creates the rings. And it's like, Oh, here you guys go. Everything's fine. Nothing shady about this. Like it's going to be something that they are tricked to create themselves. So I think whether Kellen Brimbor is already being manipulated by Sauron, whether he's just greedy, I I'm really wondering how he gets tricked to create these things, which seems to be where this is, is going. Yeah, and another note on what you said, Brad, about their conversation, Elrond and Celebrimbor, and how it seemed like Elrond might be getting taken advantage of by him. Doesn't he say in their conversation that Elrond's father said that his son is going to be his downfall? So that Elrond might be like, it might be turned around from what you said. I thought he said that his it's going to be like his savior or like his yeah. having, I thought it was yeah, like, like I think he's putting more pressure on Elrond. Oh, okay. Maybe I misunderstood that. The elves. Like, I think he's like manipulating him to be like, your dad always said you were going to do this and help us out. Like, I think he's just like playing Elrond left and right. Hmm. Okay. Then that makes sense. 
And I just wonder if he he's doing it and he knows something shady is going on and he's manipulating or if he doesn't even know and he's the one being manipulated. And so he thinks he's really doing the right thing. So I, I don't know. And I'm interested to see how that kind of comes into play a little bit. Also, I think we need to talk about, well, okay, before I go into to this discussion, I also have a theory about when the mine was shaking and collapsed and, and people got trapped and all that. And then, you know, they're not supposed to dig for mithril anymore. The king um, forbid it, forbade it. <laughs> I just think back to Fellowship of the Ring when they're in the mines of Moria and we're hearing the story about how the the dwarves uh, delved too deeply into the mines and got too greedy and it ended up awaking the Balrog, which we see with that big fire monster that fights Gandalf and I, we think kills Gandalf at the end of uh, Fellowship of the Ring. And so I wonder if what they're doing here, we're actually seeing the, the Balrog waking up because of them mining for the Mithril. So that would be oh, that's cool. for sure. Yeah. So I think that's really, really cool. Yeah, I was wondering, I was like, are we going to see the Balrog in this show at some point? Like, I don't know if we're going to see him like attack and kill and they have to flee. Like, I don't know how far, do you know, like, is this show coming back? Is it like renew? Is it like a limited series? Is it? No, I think it's planned for five seasons. Oh my God. Okay. Yes. So yeah, it's it's not, not already picked up for the full slate, but it won't be more than five seasons. Wow. Okay. Yep. Okay. So, it's, so I, it's definitely not like a limited series. Like, oh, it's 10. No, 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 no. Okay. No. Um, so then also I want to talk about the, the stranger. And so the stranger obviously is with Nori and the Harfoots, Harfeet. We should really figure out how to say this. Uh, but we don't see him in this episode, but we hear about him or at least about the circumstances upon his landing on in Middle Earth. So Waldreg, who is the old shady guy uh, that is living with the men, he has a scene with Theo, the kid who has the hilt, the, the sword of Sauron. And he says, that is not, it, it is no sword. It is a power fashioned by, or fashioned for our ancestors by his master's own hand, a beautiful servant. He who was lost, but shall return. Have you heard of him, lad? Have you heard of Sauron? And then they talk about how his arrival is, has been foreshadowed by this meteor crashing to earth. And we obviously saw that a couple episodes ago with the introduction of the stranger. So my question to you two is, is Sauron the stranger? Is that just a coincidence where the, the meteor or the comet that fell to earth is a symbol of his, Sauron's arrival, but the stranger is independent of that? You know, where do you guys land with that? I don't think it's him. I, I think it's like a sign that he's like coming, but I don't think that's meant to be like, oh, that's him. You know, the the sign is him arriving in this form of comet. I just think it means like when the comet comes, that means he's arrived. Like, I do not want that stranger to be a bad guy. I like him. Where do you fall on that cake? I know um, it's so hard, but I almost just feel like it would be too easy and too simple to have this stranger be Sauron. Like, cause um, from everything I've read and seen on this, it seems like he is really big into shape-shifting and being other people or looking like other people. So I don't, I don't know. It'd be so interesting if it was like one of the main characters that we're watching. Like I know maybe it might be Adar, it might be Hallbrand, um, or like really anybody it could be, but I just think it would be too, 
too easy for the show to have this stranger be Sauron. Hmm. Yeah, I would think Sauron's like someone who's out there like sowing dissent and causing division between races. Like, I think it's gonna be someone like that. Like, you know, not someone who is, you know, like friend. You know, and yeah, like, he seems like he so doesn't nice. even know like what's going. You know, maybe he doesn't even realize he's Sauron yet. Like, is possible, but like, I definitely don't think he's like disguising himself to hang out with the hard people. <laughs> I mean, when I watched this for the first time, my first thought was, holy shit, that that, that is con- confirmation. The stranger is Sauron. And the reason I thought that is because I just feel like it's a coincidence that if, you know, if, if there was a prophecy that Sauron would come back when this comet crashed on Earth and then all of a sudden the comet crashed, then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's just a sign that he is returning. But it had a person in it. Like there was an actual physical person in it, which is like, that can't just be a coincidence. That's just a random person that could play a whole nother role and has nothing to do with Sauron, but it also is intertwined with the prophecy of him coming back. I don't know. So I'm interested to see how it goes for sure. It doesn't seem like he's being manipulative. It seems like he, yeah, he he's doesn't know who he is, what's going on. And I think we might see you know, kind of this rebirth and re-realization of who he is and and maybe he leads to the destruction of all of the Harfeet people, Aww. which is why they don't exist anymore in the third age and they're hobbits, which is ancestors of Harfeet, but Harfeet are not there anymore. So I'm wondering if maybe that has something to do with that too. Well, That'd be very problem. messed up because <laughs> he's helping them carry their cart right now. <laughs> Sure. And no evil person would ever carry a cart. For... No. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> anything else you guys have that you want to talk about for this episode? No, I, lo- I just love Kate's ability to like, under- like, um, that'd be very, like, if he exterminated a race of people, that'd be very messed up. And then what did you say <laughs> earlier about, uh, what's his name? And the, the Benjamin Star guy that got introed this episode? Adar. Yeah, and he's like, I will become a god. She's like, something about that, right, seems shady. <laughs> <laughs> like, a nice person would say something like that. I was like, yeah, yeah, you do not. I have good, good insights. Yeah, yeah. He probably respected his mother, though. Good intuition, okay? Good intuition. Like, that would be mean. That would be bad. <laughs> yeah, well, either way, I think the show is getting really good. I think this was the halfway point in the show. So this is episode four. So I'm guessing that means if I could do elementary math, that means there'll be eight episodes in season one. So we'll see where we go. But everything is kind of building up towards this war. And, and I'm really excited to see what happens with it. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Geek and You Shall Find podcast. We will be recording our next episode Sunday night for the new episode of House of the Dragon. So make sure you subscribe so you can be notified right when the episode gets posted. And as we talked about, engage. We love to hear your thoughts. Comment in the comment section on YouTube. Subscribe, give us some likes and uh, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Facebook and Twitter, the at is at Superhero Faces, one word. On Instagram, it's Superhero underscore Faces. And thanks again for getting geeky with us. We'll see you next time. And to all of our hung- our listeners in Hungary, Bukshu. Woo! Bukshu. Bye, guys. Bukshu.